Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our first recording in a while. Today, me and Maya are joined by Elizabeth Jacobs. Elizabeth, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Jacobs. I am adopted from Cambodia, and I live right now in Massachusetts in the United States. And I've been living here for 21, almost 22 years now. Well, we're really glad to have you on the show. <laughs> As our yeah, first guest in like months. Um, yes, the comeback. Yeah. Yes. So did you have a coming out of the fog moment in terms of your adoption? And what was it if you did? Yes, I, I, I did have a coming out of the fog moment. Um, Quite recently, actually, for, for the longest time, I, I wasn't interested or had a desire to really go into my adoption or learn more about, you know, how I was adopted and, and that whole process. But recently, in my sophomore year of college, I had a project that I had to do uh, for my honors thesis. And so I had to come up with a media project. And I thought, oh, what better way to do a documentary on my adoption so I can reconnect with my culture that way, um, build a community, um, and still do something that I'm interested in since I'm a film studies uh, major. Um, I really wanted to do something that had to do with video and storytelling. That's really cool. Is this still part of your master's now? Yeah, so uh, this is. I, I initially started as my, my honors thesis before I graduated college, um, and I wanted to complete the documentary probably around now, but because of COVID hit, I couldn't travel back to Cambodia. Um, so I actually had to pull this project out of my honors thesis. And now I'm just doing it as a independent project. Oh, that's really cool. So you have other people I assume involved in this project with you? Yes, I have eight other student filmmakers all from across the country, friends of friends, um, we have people from UCLA, Full Sail, uh, NYU, Columbia Co College, Columbia College in Chicago, um, and I, I've grown to know them through internships or school or even just friends of friends. Um, so we've been working together for about two years, which is which has been awesome. So are they are most of them adoptees as well, or actually? So I am one out of the two adoptees in this crew um me and then one of my friends Corey, who is from columbia chicago um he's also adopted the rest of the crew are not adopted but we do strive to make it as diverse as possible so we have um just we we also really wanted to focus on having a good balance between you know both men and women in crew um that's also something that we strive is to have a lot of like fair fair at least fair choice with with women in the film industry since it's hard um so we also have a lot of women in our crew too oh, that's really good good for you More thank you like, yeah <laughs> yeah for sure so you said that you uh yeah you've been working together for like two years now and you've been trying to obviously because of the pandemic and everything it's been difficult like going over there so what what have you kind of been focusing on now like in between yeah. Um, so even though we were planning on shooting this documentary about a year ago, uh, we took that opportunity to do more crowdfunding, to get more exposure out there. So we started a TikTok at the Stolen Children Film 
And uh, we got a lot of viral TikToks out there and found a huge community because it's because of the TikTok algorithm, it was the best way to connect with adoptees like myself um, who didn't know um, that they want to learn more. And now, you know, they're having their coming out of the fog moment as well, um, which is really, really cool. And yeah, it's 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 been a great journey for the past year. And we've we've picked up a lot of interest. That's really cool. I mean, I'm personally not on TikTok because I don't have the self-control because <laughs> I can just scroll for hours. And my <laughs> next, my replacement is like I use like the Instagram Reels, which is like nowhere near as good as TikTok. But I think the really cool thing about TikTok is the random algorithm and how even when I was on it just for a brief amount of time, like I guess somehow they knew that I was interested in adopted people <laughs> and because I would get things like that in my feed too. So I think it's a really cool way of... Um, unintentionally but intentionally like connecting with people yeah it's it's insane to to people even commented they're like i never thought i would make it to like the commerce side of tiktok which i mean i've never found it until up until we made the tiktoks up until we made the tiktoks and um yeah it was just cool to see a community be built right before our eyes and and they're still with us and following us today yeah well so what kind of tiktoks do you guys make um, so we we have a internship program, and one of the intern tracks are social media and TikTok. And a lot of my interns love to make me do some like trendy TikToks. You know, like it's a mix of like both comedy and education. So you you reel in the followers with comedy, and uh, hopefully educate them on the way. Uh, and it's been fun. Some of them I I'm the terrible I'm the worst TikToker in the world um so yeah no I'm not good at TikTok transitions so you can probably find a few of my mistakes on there but uh yeah it's a it's a mixed bag in that it's okay in that we're not way. a super critical audience <laughs> yeah. well maybe what we can do is uh you can send us one of your favorite TikToks and we'll post it absolutely yeah for sure um so before we like talk more about your documentary um because that obviously will be a big part of this episode we do also just want to talk about you because you're a really cool person and we want to hear about your story did you grow up in a diverse community or was it mostly white i grew up um in a suburban town just out of boston about 20 minutes out of boston and it was predominantly white and asian um but it was interesting growing up because there was a lot of, there was a big Asian community out there, but it was mostly like uh, Korean, Chinese, Japanese. I never could find South Asian. If I did find South Asian people, it would be because they were also adopted. Um, so the adoptive community was very, very small out there. But overall, I, I haven't run into much adversity being adopted um, out in, in my town. Everyone was really welcoming. And yeah, no, I mean, even though the community of the uh, of adopted kids were small, uh, that means I pretty much knew everyone who's adopted. One of my best friends also is adopted. She's from adopted from Guatemala. Another one of my best friends was adopted from Russia. Um, so it was cool to really have close connections with the adoptive community out there. That's really nice. I assume the experiences from Guatemala and Russia would be very different from yours. But are you still able to find like commonalities? Yeah, I, th I we always talk to each other about like, you know, like, who do you know from your family? Do you have any biological family? Like, what was 
what was your experience like? Um, and it's interesting because a lot of them will say like, I have like a picture of my mom in my in my bedroom, which is like, wow, I, I don't know anything about my biological family. And then, you know, my other friend from, from Russia says that she has absolutely, she doesn't know a thing. So it's a huge spectrum from a lot of the um, adopted kids, how much they know about their own adoption and their family and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I know for China, a lot of um, international adoptions are a result of the one-child policy. Was there something similar in Cambodia? Like, what is there a reason for international adoptions there, or is it just most of the reason out there is the the really bad poverty out there? So a lot of a lot of families do not have the money to take care of uh, a lot of children, um, so they tend to put them up for adoption, and that's usually the case. I don't believe they have a one-child rule or something similar to that but i have heard that in in china the uh, even what is it one child one child nation one child one nation is a really good film that talks about it um but yeah yes yeah so i wonder if for like cambodian adoptees um your documentary will be like what one child nation was to chinese adoptees because at least for um a lot of the chinese adoptees that i uh, know and spoke to when we grow up um i think we've got we're often told this narrative that um, because of the one-child policy, our parents didn't want us, they wanted boys, they didn't want girls because of cultural reasons. And um, we had no way of challenging this or knowing otherwise until this documentary came out and they were actually interviewing um, different birth families who had had to relinquish their daughters and the circumstances behind that. So I thought, at least, I know for me it was a very emotional film because um, it was you learned a lot and also at the same time, some of the information that I thought was true about myself might not actually be true. So like they're taking away like these few little straws I have left from my like baby self. It's always good though to learn more and to understand more. I totally agree. I mean, I that would be awesome to be the documentary for at least Cambodian adoptees to really educate uh, them on, you know, what the adoption system was like when they were adopted. I, I haven't found a documentary, at least about Can- Cambodian adoptees um, yet. So like you said, I think it's it's very important that certain adoptees need media to refer to, to be educated on the topic, because I feel like there's not much out there. Mm-hmm. And we're, I mean, because most of us did get adopted into the West, what we're surrounded with is mostly the Western perspective, and it's Absolutely. very hard to escape from that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess this is a this is a good point to kind of jump into maybe a little bit more about what this documentary, the Stolen Children, what what it is, and what do you hope to to achieve with it? Yeah. So. Um... This documentary is about me going back to Cambodia for the first time since I was adopted. And I wanted to show me reconnecting with my culture. And also I wanted to investigate further on a scandal that happened out in Cambodia regarding adoption. Because when I was when I was doing research on the adoption system out in Cambodia, I came across a ton of articles talking about a scandal that happened between like the early 2000s, uh, like 2000 to 2005. And when I was reading it, it was about a woman named Lauren Galindo, who pretty much she had like a baby trafficking ring, where she would go and target very 
poor families and pretty much say, hey, I'll take care of your child. I'll bring them to the orphanage. I know you can't take care of them right now. So we'll take them back. We'll give them food, water, shelter, everything while you can get back on your feet. And so they took in a bunch of these children from these villages, brought them back to those orphanages, and then eventually had these children sent off to um, families overseas. And how she was able to do that was she would send paperwork to these mothers out in these villages. And because these mothers are so, like, they're they're very poor and um, they're not very educated. They Some of them aren't um, able to read very well. Um, they're just, they're thinking they're signing off on papers to, like, get help for the child, maybe get, like, medical care or something, right? But because the wording was so difficult for them to understand, they pretty much signed off their child to get adopted. Um, overseas. So there's a lot of uh, Cambodian adoptees that may have families out in Cambodia that they don't know about. And so I want to investigate further on that topic and even try to find for myself if I was one of those quote unquote stolen children and hopefully expose this whole entire, what do you want to call it, scandal and 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 get other Cambodian adoptees aware of the topic. Because of course, corruption in the adoption system is very very common and I feel it's not talked about a lot mm-hmm. which is honestly like terrible that you're stealing I mean yeah you're taking away children from your families even if I mean you mentioned earlier that you are obviously thankful because you have a life you wouldn't have had in Cambodia but there's still obviously going to be that element of loss absolutely it's definitely a difficult topic to talk with your your adoptive parents um when I had my conversation with my adoptive parents, they always reassured me that uh, they loved me and cared for me, um, that they would never, ever steal a child. It was it, not only were the adopted kids, you know, tricked and duped, but the parents were also because they thought they were doing a, a good deed. Right. So, yeah, I had that conversation with my mom and dad, and I'm very privileged enough to be part of a welcoming family that I always felt that I always belonged to. And I always identify myself with my uh, adoptive family, of course. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a little curiosity and trying to figure out, you know, your origin story and all of that. So that's that's pretty much what this this documentary is about is is finding my origin story and just knowing the truth of what happened. But still grateful for where I am today. So are you also hoping at the same time to maybe locate your birth family? Is that something that's possible? Yeah. So I that was one of the goals of uh, one of one of the goals of mine to go and find my biological family. Then again, it's very hard because with the documents that I have, I don't have, I don't have any information on my parents. Actually, when my mom came to adopt me, uh, they would have this day where they'd bring all of the adoptive families into the office and tell them, you know, the child's background, where they're from, biological uh, family history, all of that. But my mom was the only person to never be called into the office. Um, so I have no pictures. Uh, they say where I was born was from Sihanoukville, but a lot of, after doing research on the scandal, a lot of documents can be falsified and just fake, and they just, they'll, they'll just put it out there. So I have very little to go off of, but, you know, with funding and, and help, um, I could hopefully get a private investigator to help me track down biological family. So fingers crossed. Yes, fingers crossed for sure. So I know in 
at least China, they're doing DNA testing. They're trying to get um, both families who come forward to get their DNA and put that into a database so that if adopted kids um, put, also put their DNA in the same database, there can be um, kind of links. Is there something similar that exists for Cambodian adoptees? I did hear that, actually. Um, some people told me about that, and I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but I really do want to try to do that. There is a there is a database for Cambodian adoptees and Cambodian mothers. Um, it's very small. It's growing. It's starting. But I'm still interested and would love to, you know, do anything I can to try and, and, and get contact with any biological family member. That's really cool. Do you think that will be in your um, documentary at all? I do. I, uh, I, I do think it's going to be a part of it. The whole entire trying to find the parent journey is a long and slow one, but I want it to be incorporated into the documentary as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like really brave of you because I think that opening up yourself to, at least, okay, I'm coming from a Chinese adoptee perspective where the um, chances of you finding your birth parents is so, so small that opening yourself up to the, just to hope for that can like, um, really be like tolling on your mental health because uh, at the same time while you have this hope you also know that it's so unlikely and it can really weigh down on you um, and I think for you to you know you're going through that experience as well but then to also um, be very public about it is very admirable so thank you it's very impressive <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very, it's very brave, and I think also what you mentioned before, um, yeah, because I'm I'm also trying to to put myself in your situation as well, because not even just potentially finding out, uh, yeah, finding your birth parents or not, but also as as you said before, maybe finding out that you were one of the traffic children. I I also think that's very. It's very heavy, so it's very brave uh, of you to also show this to to the public uh, in that sense. Thank you, I appreciate that. I um, I I don't think it's hit me yet that I'm going to be in front of the camera because I've I like I always wanted to be a director. I like being behind the camera, you know, trying to compose shots and and create the story. So it's it's going to be a little nerve wracking because uh, I'm a bit camera shy. So uh, who knows what you know? An hour and a half of me of just watching me, I'm gonna, that's gonna be a struggle for sure. Yeah. So have you done any filming yet? Or are you waiting until you go to Cambodia to do most of it? Currently, we have, you know, just a, a couple interviews with some other Cambodian adoptees. Some of them are, two of them, they're one of, uh, one of them was adopted with me out in Cambodia. We were adopted on the same day. We actually went to high school together. So oh, he's wow. been a long friend of mine. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very grateful to have him in my life and we can absolutely just relate on, on us knowing each other for a long, long time. Um, and then another friend of mine, a friend of a friend was also adopted in Cambodia. She was adopted with her biological brother, which is another like cool experience. Um, so we interviewed her, but yeah, that we only have two interviews. We can only stay in the U.S. We can only stay in Massachusetts. So hopefully uh, we have enough money to travel around the United States and interview more people and then eventually go out to Cambodia and shoot. Awesome. That's really exciting. And I, I really like how you're interviewing um, a lot of different adoptees because I think that was one thing that I kind of missed in um, One Child Nation was they didn't really interview adoptees and how the one child policy, I mean, because we are a result of it. So 
how it impacted us. So I think it'd be really nice for people to be able to see that on film. Yeah, no, I, I, I really want the every like story of an adoptee to be out in this documentary. I feel like there's a lot of adoptee narratives out in the film industry that don't really incorporate directly like the voices from the adoptee. Um, so that's definitely also a goal of mine. Yeah, that's great. So the person that was doing a lot of like, I guess, quote unquote, stealing the children and misleading the um, birth families, her name was Lauren Galindo? Yes, yeah, Lauren Galindo. And so I think there's been recently a scandal in the media about how Angelina Jolie's one son, I think Maddox, Maddox? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Maddox. Anyways, um, he, was he was also adopted from Cambodia and there's been some sort of I don't know if it's speculation that there's like affiliation between um, that. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Correct. Yes. So um, we were, our documentary was published out in the Sun, um, in the Sun newspaper, and they pretty much connected this documentary, this project, The Stolen Children, and Angelina Jolie's adoption, Maddox, and they put it together in an article. Um, there's a lot of misinformation about how our documentary is directly investigating into Angelina Jolie's and Maddox's adoption. When it's not, it's just talking about the scandal. Um, we don't have any affiliation with Angelina Jolie, um, but Sadly. <laughs> it, would, <laughs> it, it, would, it would be great if she knew about us. I, that would be a, a dream come true. It would be crazy. But um, yeah, no, I, you know, we just wanted to focus on the overarching, you know, any adoptee in Cambodia is they, they will relate to this documentary. And so I guess in that sense, you know, Maddox is, is uh, I guess, could be interested in the documentary. He could not also. Some people, some people just don't even want to dig further deep into it. But um, that was one time when we we were freaking out that we were in like an article with Angelina Jolie. My team and I were all freaking out. We were like, well, how did this happen? This is insane. Um, but yeah. Was that the Daily Mail one? Yeah. So yeah, the, 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 when the Sun article came out, then the Daily Mail article came out. And I remember one of my friends texting me being like, Lizzie, I just saw you on Snapchat. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I slid to the side with like the newspaper thumbnails and I saw Daily Mail and I saw your photo when you were a baby on there. And he clicked on it and sent it over to me. And I was like freaking out. I was like, is this really happening? And then I got like a, uh, my phone was blowing up of texts and messages being like, Lizzie, you're on this article. Lizzie, you're on this article. Um, so it was insane. Yeah, that is, that's crazy. So how did um, the Daily Mail end up getting your baby photos and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, there was a journalist who reached out to us, who found us, um, I believe, through Instagram, possibly. And he reached out to us. He's really nice. Wanted to interview me and my team about what we're doing because he did a article on the scandal when it first happened and he was like, hey, like you guys are researching again, I'd love to interview you. So he interviewed us and um, he asked for some photos. So like some photos that my mom took when we were out in Cambodia and I sent them over and he was like, great, I'm gonna try to get this published. And lo and behold, he emailed us and said, hey, I published it to The Sun, um, which congratulations. It's like one of the best selling newspapers out in the UK. Um, and so once, once that article came out, uh, the Daily Mail, I believe, 
I don't know this for sure, but I think the Daily Mail has some type of connection with the Sun. And so that's how they got those photos as well. And, you know, after Daily Mail and after the Sun, more and more articles started jumping off of other articles. And at that point, it was just like a compete, uh, a competition for headlines and stuff like that. That's crazy. But in a, in a really weird way, that's like a great way for your documentary to get exposure. Absolutely. All, all press is good press is what we say. <laughs> so did you notice like on Instagram or anything that you had gained a significant amount of followers? Yeah, definitely. Just that I remember the day that it happened. I was out in Santa Monica with my girlfriend on a vacation and that's when my phone was going crazy. And then I was looking at our Instagram followers and it had to go up at least like a thousand, possibly a thousand in that day. And we were getting emails of publications and journalists and other adoptees saying that like they were interested in the documentary and they want to know when it's coming out and all of this. So it was a very cool experience. It was a it was a um, chaotic one, but a, a very cool one as well. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, that's that was one way to get the word out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you have a sort of GoFundMe, right, for your um, documentary? Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what the money's being used for? Absolutely. Yeah, we've um, we've been doing a few campaigns on GoFundMe for a while now. Uh, they're still live uh, through our website that's on our link tree. And um, the GoFundMe is supposed to raise money for renting out equipment since that's very expensive. Um, and then also paying for flights and accommodations for the crew because the crew is, as of right now, they're working for free. They're doing it as, you know, a fun project that a bunch of young filmmakers can collaborate on and they've been awesome throughout the process and so we just want to at least pay for you know the flight and and the hotel and the food and all of that so it's going to really help the crew out and it's going to really help us get some awesome equipment to be able to film this documentary awesome do you want to also drop like the gofundme details like where people can donate if they would like to yeah absolutely so if you guys want to donate to the gofundme head to our Instagram, which is at the Stolen Children Film. Um, and then if you look into our bio, there's a link tree URL and our GoFundMe link should be within that link tree. And you guys can donate as much as you can or as little as you can. <laughs> awesome. And do you, is there like a uh, target goal that you're hoping for or is it just like you'll take what you can get? Um, as of right now, our goal, I think, is 7,000. And I think we've raised... 5,000 so far. Oh, wow. um, good job. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, we're really trying to push, push the numbers. We did a, we did an initial GoFundMe and we raised a little over $5,000. So we did a second one, raised another five grand. So hopefully we can get that two grand very soon. Awesome. Well, to anyone who's listening, you should definitely, if you, if you can, you should definitely um, support this project. Thank you. So aside from COVID, that's been like a universal problem. Have you faced any other challenges in creating this documentary? Um, definitely trying to find the time to prepare to, to make this documentary. As since, like I said, we're a group of nine young filmmakers, either still in college or just graduated out of college. Um, so that's been difficult because... None of us have done a feature film before and with school and work and internships and 
and you know people just even taking the time to like relax it's really hard to get meetings or trying to you know do a storyboard or or um shot lists and things like that so definitely finding the time has been has been really tricky but uh we've gotten through it so far yeah I mean that's good for you like that's very ambitious to be creating a documentary like right out of school oh yeah no I it's definitely it's it's driving us up up a wall I'm very much looking forward to graduating soon so I have more free time to focus on it um but once we get into shooting, it's gonna, I know it's gonna ramp up and the editing is gonna take such a long time. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Like editing, I was complaining to Ace earlier, like just editing like an hour episode here takes a long time. So I can't imagine like editing like footage from a film. That's crazy. Yeah, I always underestimate editing. It's insane. Yeah. Well, hopefully you have like a really nice like coffee shop that you can go to and just like <laughs> enjoy the ambiance while you're like working hard. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Yeah, you like a coffee gift card or something. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That's where the GoFundMe guys is going, is to my coffee addiction. Yes. <laughs> Have there been any, um, I assume like through this project you've met more um, Cambodian adoptees. Have there been any, not to like put you on the spot, but any that have like um, really stood out to you, that, like their experiences or what have you? Yeah, there's there's been a few crazy stories. Um, one story, there was a girl who reached out to me who said that she was dropped off, uh, I think, in front of like the mayor's office or city hall or something like that out in Cambodia. And the, the mayor found her and um, they they found her and put her in the orphanage, which I thought that was kind of cool because I feel like that's like such like a story out of a movie being like found by the mayor. Um, <laughs> There's other experiences that I haven't haven't experienced. So I have a friend who, um, her and her biological brother were adopted together, which I always think is cool. Um, but even like crazier stories where they'll come to me and be like, "Hey, we, I didn't realize this, but we're from the same orphanage. We were adopted at the same time." So it's kind of like a a cool reunion that we get to have and and bond over. Um, pretty much being like, you know, we. We knew each other before we came to the States or before we came to Europe or wherever they're living now. So it's kind of Oh, cool. wow. That is really cool. Yeah. I know for um, me, the girls that I was adopted with, we were all crib mates, which is like something very unique. That So like oh. when we were very little, uh, we could always be like, oh, we knew each other before we knew our parents, which is like a very, I mean, very few other <laughs> kids can say that. Um, I don't oh my God, yeah. have anything similar. <laughs> No, unfortunately not. I think for me, it was only me and maybe one other guy who was adopted at the same time. But I think his parents, yeah, they lived somewhere else in Sweden. So I don't really have contact with him uh, at all, unfortunately. Well, you have us. We may not be from the same (laughs) orphanage, but we are with you in spirit. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think it is really cool, though. I mean... Ace is adopted from the Philippines, I'm from China, and you're from Cambodia, and yet here we all are in different countries on the same call talking about something that has brought us together. I think that is really cool. I think it is. That's one thing that's special about, you know, the adoptive community is you can connect with anybody anywhere. Um, So that's something special to hold on to for sure. Mm -hmm. I love in like um, 
a subtle Asian adoptee traits when someone's like, oh, I'm going to X city, or I just moved there, I'm just going for a vacation, and then like, they're like, is there anyone here who wants to meet up? And there's always like at least like 10 comments. And I think that's yeah. like, really fantastic. Wherever you go, there's always at least one other adoptee. You just got to find them and hope that they're exactly. into that as well. <laughs> uh, um, so when you get to Cambodia, hopefully in January, in the new, in near future, are you anticipating any difficulties or are there things that you're worried about? So when, when we get to Cambodia, some challenges that we could run into, again, is like the, the COVID stuff. I know we were planning on shooting in January. Um, but we actually had to push that even further back um, because they're going through a COVID crisis right now. Um, and we don't want to add any any further or, or more pressure uh, to what the what's going on right now. But that's, you know, that's always a factor of whether or not, you know, the travel traveling restrictions can be applied. Some other challenges, a challenge, I guess, would be, you know, we're all young. We're all going to a complete foreign country. None of us have been there before. Um, aside from me being adopted, none of us have been on this territory. So, you know, what are you going to get when you get a bunch of young 20-year-olds going <laughs> to Cambodia? That's going to be hard to try to control because if I'm the, the boss figure out there, help us all, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't be that bad. But are you, like, hiring, like, a guide or a translator or something like that? We have been co- uh, in contact with a few uh, taxi drivers out there. There's this... Uh, one girl that she, she she reached out to us and she's been an expat in Cambodia. Um, she was actually there for a small visa, but when COVID hit, she she stayed there for longer. I think she's been there for like a year and a half now. Um, she's extended her stay and she has helped us connect with a lot of taxi drivers and tour guides that are out there that um, have been and will be helpful to us once we get over there and show us around uh, the country. So you, so you've, you're plan, you've planned ahead for that? Yes, yeah, no, definitely trying to build our connection before we go out there, because if we're going in cold turkey, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess now when you also got a bit more time, maybe you can like see it as an opportunity to plan even more. Like, do, do you have anything like that where you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do like the first week here? is where we're gonna go and and things like that yeah we definitely we have that all planned out the itinerary almost um my assistant director phoebe young um one of my really really good friends she pretty much planned out day by day week by week where will we be going um who we're gonna split up into two groups so like who's gonna be in which group what shots do we want to get so it's very meticulously planned out which is good Are you excited to like try like the, the food there? I mean, imagine you would like allow a couple, like a day or two for like just touristy stuff. Yes, absolutely. No, when we when we get there, I'm really excited to eat the food. Um, I really am excited to bring my film camera and to shoot a bunch of film photography out there. Um, so I, that's another hobby of mine is photography and just the architecture I, I know out there is beautiful especially the temples are beautiful so that is something to definitely to share on TikTok experience. so we can all like be there with you <laughs> the content on TikTok <laughs> will be so good oh my goodness we will be capturing all of that oh my gosh are you nervous about the language barrier I am a little bit nervous um that's just like going to every other country, um, you know, that has a foreign language 
and I'm trying to prepare my crew the best we can. So we're trying to, we're actually reaching out to professors who are, who specialize in Khmer. Um, and we're getting up to date, getting a bunch of translation apps, making sure we get educated and watching um, YouTube videos to at least know the foundations and basics of Khmer and um, try to at least, at least know the phrases where the bathroom is and, and directions. <laughs> that is the bare minimum. That is the bare minimum that we, we need to, but uh, yeah. Sorry, you said that, and that just reminded me of this one time. I was in Montreal, uh, which is in Quebec, and it's a French. It's it is a French-speaking um, city, but if your French is very bad, they will speak English to you because they're just like, oh, you want to hear one of those people. Um, but I remember one time I was like trying so hard, and I asked this one security guard um, where it's the washrooms in French, and I guess I must my French must have been passable enough because. Um, he actually responded to me in French, but the problem was he spoke so fast that I had no idea what he said. But luckily, um, he pointed at the escalators that went like while he was talking. So I was like, I'm just gonna go that way and just pretend I understood what he said. That victory is so bittersweet. It's like, okay, I pass, but like, mm, I'm gonna need you to repeat that one more time because I yeah. did not get any of that. So. I was too prideful to admit I had no idea what you just said. <laughs> I'd be I'd be the same way too. I'd be like, I know exactly what you said and then walk a complete different direction. I was actually so grateful he had pointed to the escalator. Because <laughs> I would have had I would have just stood there being like, uh Yeah. He gave me an out with that, which I appreciate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are you hoping to interview any of the um birth families there? I don't know if you've connected to any is it possible to connect to them? I don't know. I, I'm curious. Um, if I can, I would love to interview a ton of the mothers out in, you know, a lot of the, I guess, more impoverished vill uh, villages. If they would be open to, I would love to interview them and let them speak, like, their piece. Um, because that's a perspective that is definitely important in this documentary. And I think it would be cool to incorporate it, so... I wonder if that would also be an emotional experience for you. This, I feel like this whole project is, is really heavy. And the good thing is, is that I have my, my, my two producers and my assistant director, and they're going to help me, especially through the emotional parts. Um, you know, aside from visiting all the cool tour stuff and eating the food, those very personal moments, I think they're going to try and pick up some of the weight and, and take the reins on that. That's good that you've got those people like that. Yeah. Because... I mean, it is it is a huge emotional experience. I mean, I haven't gone back to China, but I, I can imagine <laughs> if I was in your shoes, that would be a huge thing. Right. So. But in a weird way, is it, would, do you feel like part of it would be kind of like a, I don't I'm not, I want to say closure, but not exactly closure, but do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah. I think regardless of where it goes, it, where, you know, it could lead to me finding my biological family. It could lead to finding out that I wasn't one of the stolen children. I was genuinely, like, legal adoption, document-wise. Um, and, you know, either way, I think I'll get closure from it. All I want to know is kind of, you know, where, where, the, where the heck am I from? That's what <laughs> I would love to know. Just something just a little piece if you give me a little piece i'll be good for the next 20 years and then i'm coming back for more information so <laughs> i like that attitude <laughs> um so i don't know if you mentioned this yet 
but I know you mentioned it earlier that one of the people that you're planning on interviewing is actually this um, Lauren Galindo. Yeah. Yeah, no. So she heard about us when the when the article from The Sun came out as I was reading it. I saw that Lauren Galindo had a quote inside the article. And it turns out that when they interviewed me right after they interviewed me, they went to find Lauren Galindo herself and interview her. Um, and, you know, she said a few comments here and there. But one of the comments was like, Elizabeth has never reached out to me. But um, if she does, I'm willing to help her out in her journey uh, about the adoption. And so we do want to interview her. She lives right now. She lives in Maui, Hawaii, I believe. But that will be a tough but very crucial interview to have. So if we're able to fly out to Hawaii, um, that's something that would be really crucial for us to get. Do you think that you would be there um, during the interview or would that be maybe too much for you? Where my head's at is I want to be the one asking the questions and rather, you know how a regular interview would be pretty much just like one or like an A cam and a B cam on the interview interviewee. I would really like to be, or I would like the shot to be kind of like a shot of both of us in the camera. And now you get to see kind of a moment between adoptee and the what would you call it? I guess the, an adoptee confronting adoption corruption head on. That's something I haven't seen out in the media. That is also something that can be very heavy for somebody, but I know I'll have a team that will support me through that interview. And I, I think that is very crucial to see how an adoptee can handle that mm -hmm. conversation. So the way you worded that, the adoptee were like confronting the you know corruption and adoption, that just reminded me of, do you know the YouTube channel Jubilee? Yes, I do. I love that. I, I wonder if you channel. should reach out to them and if that would be something that they would help to film. Yeah, I, I feel I, like that kind of goes in line with what the kind of videos that they produce. Their content is very much aligned with kind of, I love how they approach controversial topics like that. Um, they definitely create a dialogue that's not really created on YouTube. Um, and you're right. I think I think they would probably handle that situation very well. I I would like to reach out to them. So we'll see. Maybe maybe uh, we can uh, collaborate with Jubilee, Jubilee in the future. That'd be really awesome. Yeah. So I I think one thing that I wanted to um to ask before and also what we're kind of uh been been talking about now, um th this fact that it kind of when Lauren Galindo got a bit like introduced to this and when it got picked up by by the media like did it change like the the project it must have changed like the project quite quite a bit like in scope and like the from what it originally was like how do how do you feel that it, do you feel like it, it changed at all when that happened or yeah I mean initially I thought this was going to be like an honors thesis I was going to submit to college right so it was going to be something that Maybe my professor will see, maybe not, you know, it might go to a local film festival. Um, who knows? But I mean, these past two years have been crazy. Every single month, something new happens. Someone emails us saying that they're an investigator, that they were an that they were investigating the scandal back then. Or we'll get an email about um, someone doing a dissertation and they wanted to include the documentary in their dissertation, which was cool. Um, every month there's something new and it's, it's grown to something that I can even imagine. I mean, 
I thought we were going to get 10 followers and the, those 10 followers would be my friends and family. But now that we, we build a community over a thousand followers uh, for the stolen children film, um, it's just insane to me. And it, and it keeps growing and it, it's uh, mind blowing to still see it keep growing. So. That's, a, that's honestly an amazing initiative. So I know I've said this like so many times, but it really is. So good, good. For Thank you. you. I, I really you. do look forward to um, seeing it when it comes out. And also it's just seeing your TikToks while you're there of the beautiful architecture. <laughs> yes. Yes, you have to watch the TikToks. That's where all the best content will go. Yes. You have to put some on uh, Instagram reels for me because I don't have TikTok. <laughs> I got you, girl. We'll put them on the reels. I'll get the interns to put them on the reels. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for it to be, to be made and to hopefully be shown to the public. I don't know how it's going to be put out to the public, but, you know, Hopefully in the next, I want to say like year or year and a half, maybe um, it will be out and we can get it streamed somewhere. So in terms of streaming, how do you organize that? How do you do you like approach? Is there a way to approach Netflix or Amazon and be like, hey, will you guys stream my documentary? <laughs> <laughs> it is a it's it's definitely um a complicated process to try to get streamed on big platforms like that. Um, I know Amazon, I think Amazon Prime is a little bit easier than uh, like the Netflix and the HBO Maxes and the Hulus. Um, I don't know where this documentary will end up platform wise. Um, who knows if we can get a, if we can get a, a big company to, you know, find us and really vouch for us to these, you know, distribution companies, get us, either distributed in, in Netflix or Hulu, that would be awesome. That's, that's a one in, the, one in a million chance. But um, you know what, I, doing this documentary, anything could happen. So uh, if we get someone big like that to vouch for us, then maybe. Maybe it'll be Angelina Jolie herself. <laughs> that, you know what, that's the goal. That's the goal. Can you imagine being able to interview her or her son? That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. That will be my claim to fame. Whatever happens, that will be the claim to fame. I think you already have a claim, claim to fame just being in the same <laughs> article. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Being in a Daily Mail article, too. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's definitely, like I said, every single month, uh, there's a new claim to fame. It, it keeps it keeps getting better and better. Um, it, and I'm glad to have a team to to uh, celebrate those, those wins for us. Oh, that's amazing. You, as an adoptee filmmaker, making... Yeah, a documentary about adoption. I, I think it that's really important, at least from my perspective, because what we've seen lately when it comes to media, it has been, um, for example, in the adoptive community, there's been some controversy about uh, the Blue Bayou movie uh, yes. by uh, Justin Chen. Justin Chong? Uh, Chen? Chen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, he he's essentially telling the story of an adoptee, but he's not an adoptee himself. Um, so maybe could you speak a bit to that, like the importance of actually us being adoptees telling our stories? Yeah, absolutely. So I I know exactly the film that you're talking about. Um, I remember my assistant director; she sent the film Blue uh, Blue Bayou to me, and she was like, "Hey, check this out. This is like." I believe it's a narrative fiction film. And she was like, check this out. It's about, you know, an adoptee's experience. I believe he, the the story had to do with something about getting a, an adoptee getting deported because documents weren't legalized. Spoiler. Um, 
But I was following the film, and then I, I saw that there was this huge controversy that came out where, he, like you said, he was pretty much telling an adoptee's story um, without his, like, official consent. Um, and that oh, was interesting wow. to watch. Yeah. That's terrible. I didn't know that. Yeah. I haven't was, seen the film, disclaimer. Yeah, it was like a, it was, I don't know what happened specifically, but I think the adoptee story that he based this movie off of, that guy was like, oh, I didn't give him permission to say this, this and that. And also putting that story out there was um, triggering for a lot of adoptees. And that's, that's something that I'm definitely keeping an eye out um, with my documentary, because I, I, the last thing I want it to do is to trigger adoptees. I want it to be educational and I want it to be um, like kind of like spread awareness and cre- create a dialogue about um, this scandal that no one knows and also build a community from it. But the difference between Blue Bayou and the Stolen Children film is having the adoptee being the main person creating the story. So I'm the, I'm the director of the film and I think that's very important to keep it that way because I don't want the adoptee narrative to get misconstrued or or altered in any type of way, like you are getting a, the perspective of the adoptee and of also many other adoptee voices when we do the interviews. That's something that's very important to me. So yeah, that, that was my take on it, where we try to learn from the, you know, mistakes that, you know, possibly Blue Bayou made and try to do something different and make it more positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think just the fact that you are an adoptee making a film about, um, you know, your journey as an adoptee already makes it so much different than um, Blue Bayou. That's actually crazy, though. So um, I did see initial posts about the movie, and then I saw the controversy, but I didn't really look into it. So my perception of the issue was that the director was um, kind of gaining popularity and profiting off of this adoptee's kind of um, story and trauma. I did not realize, though, that he had taken that story without um, permission. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think it, what it was was like he went to visit this this guy, um, and this adoptee told him his story. And I think the director may have vaguely said, "This is the story I want to like do the film on." And then once the film came out and got a bunch of exposure, and like it went to Sundance and had a theatrical release, I'm sure the adoptee was like. Did he get any I don't compensation know. for that? I hope he did. I, I, don't, I don't know. I hope he did as well. But um, yeah, that's as much as what I saw. Ace, I don't know if, if you know more about the topic, but that's, that's what I saw in the medium and following Justin Chons, the director's uh, Instagram. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I, I, I also just like skimmed like through it, but I, I heard that it was like, yeah, very controversial for, for just those reasons. Um, so, so that's why I, I think it's really important uh, that kind of like we're doing in this podcast as well, that we're like that we are in charge of our stories, that we are the ones who who get to tell them. Um, because also there was a, a, another documentary that recently came out uh, called Found uh, on mm. Netflix. Uh, that's also about uh, adoptees, which I I did see and i i found it quite good actually quite interesting uh but it was kind of the same thing there it wasn't an adoptee who uh who was the director of it i think she was actually the aunt or something of one of the like the adoptees in in the documentary if i if i get my details right um 
but still i think when it comes to like telling our stories i think it's good that we we get to do it ourselves mm-hmm. yeah one thing so i actually i watched found because it was um focusing on chinese adoptees going back to china one thing that i really did like about this documentary was the searcher that they had hired, they did a lot of um, interviews with her and allowed her to also share her story, which I don't think is a perspective that I've ever heard before. And I don't know actually if it's ever really been put out there. And she had a very, very sad, and I, I don't know if you want to hear the story, um, but basically she grew up in a family where her father and her mother wanted to abandon her, um, but the grandparents convinced the family um, not to, but she had a younger brother. The amount of favoritism uh, that they showed that brother and just the way she grew up was she always knew that she wasn't wanted in that family and so I thought that was just I mean it's very very sad but it's just like um, how the one child policy went both ways in affecting um, daughters. Yeah absolutely I think the the one child rule out in in China always amazes me and even though we don't have at least as far as I know that we don't have that in Cambodia, I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to have to tackle that situation, you know, that being part of your your history, your background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch. I know, I mean, as a Chinese adoptee, I don't really know much about um, Cambodia or Cambodian adoptees and um, your experiences, so I'm excited to learn through your documentary. Thank you. AC, we need one for uh, Filipino adoptees. Come on. Where's your documentary at? <laughs> Where's mine? Yeah. It will come. It will be a YouTube, uh, a YouTube vlog. We're looking forward to it. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing your personal journey in something so public as a documentary. As I said earlier, that takes a lot of um, courage and bravery just to be that open and emotional and vulnerable. So that really is amazing and inspiring. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a, a great time. It's good to meet you, Ace, and good to meet you, Maya. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can keep up to date with Elizabeth's documentary by following it on Instagram at the Stolen Children Film, or you can follow her at Lizzie Jacobs One, which is L I Z Z I J A C O B S with the number one, not the word number one. Killed it. Or distinction. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, you can email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next time. <laughs>